This program contains mature images. Viewer discretion is advised. Thanks everyone for being here today. We really appreciate it. So permanent body modification is a worldwide human phenomenon. For example, it's been estimated that over 1.4 billion men have been circumcised. In addition, in the United States, where tattooing was previously associated with deviancy and criminality, today it's thought that over 32% of Americans have at least one tattoo on their body. And a third type of body modification, piercing, is also extremely prevalent, especially earlobe piercing. In two national surveys in the 1990s, it was found that between 30 to 40% of the population had their earlobes pierced. And when we consider body piercing, so piercings that aren't in the earlobes, the number is a bit lower, somewhere between 6 and 20% of the population. But if we consider younger generations, high schoolers and university students, that number is a lot greater, ranging somewhere between 20 to 51% of the surveyed population having at least one body piercing. And so this vast scope of body modification leads us to an interesting question, which is, when did this evolve? Perhaps we see it amongst other non-human animals, suggesting that there might be this deep root of evolution that of permanent body modification. And the short answer of this is that no, it doesn't seem to be the case. Scholars have specifically stated that no animal seems to perform permanent body modification, and that it seems to be a centrally human act, at least today. The closest possible similar uh, practice that we were able to find was amongst bearded vultures. These vultures are born with white feathers on their chest, but they frequently bathe in iron oxide puddles that turn their feathers from white to this reddish-orange color. However, this isn't a permanent modification, and they have to keep bathing in the pool to maintain this color. And significantly, it appears as though this behavior is innate. Young vultures that are bred in captivity and who have never encountered this behavior before, when they're presented with an iron oxide puddle, immediately go into it and start bathing in it suggesting that this is some kind of innate uh, part of their biology rather than something that's cultural as it is in humans. So if it doesn't seem to be present amongst generally other non-human animals, perhaps it might have been present in our last common ancestor between ourselves and our most related relative who is living today, the chimpanzees and the bonobos. And one way to potentially get at this would be to see if they and the other great apes also share some kind of body modification practice. But again, this doesn't seem to be the case. There's no evidence to suggest that the great apes permanently modify themselves or even temporarily modify themselves by adding embellishments or decorations. Though perhaps there's the possibility that this practice of body modification evolved after our split with the chimpanzees and the bonobos, and therefore might it be present amongst our extinct hominin relatives. 
So in the 1980s, paleoanthropologist Eric Trinkhaus suggested that two Neanderthal individuals from Shanadar Cave in Iraq may present evidence of intentional cranial modification. However, it was found out that one of the crania was actually reconstructed incorrectly. And when the reconstruction was corrected, Trinkhaus then formally withdrew his interpretation of intentional cranial modification and stated that for the second cranium, more detailed studies needed to be carried out to ascertain whether there was this evidence of cranial modification. And the results of these later follow-up studies have suggested that there isn't this reliable evidence that we would be looking for. Therefore, there is no conclusive evidence that our extinct hominin relatives engaged in permanent body modification. So taking all this together, this leads us to a significant conclusion, which is that currently, at least, we're the only species that are engaging in permanent body modification that we know of. So then a major question emerges, which is, well, when did we start doing it? And that's going to be the focus of the rest of this discussion. So we're going to talk about the early evidence for seven different types of body modification. Tattooing, scarification, amputation, piercing, genital modification, dental modification, and bone shaping, specifically cranial modification. And for each of these, we're going to discuss the early possible evidence and then some later more secure evidence of the practices. So the first type is tattooing, and this is also the body modification that has the earliest possible evidence of its occurrence. This is from a cave site in South Africa where these bone implements were found that had pigment on them and had use wear suggesting that they were used on some kind of fleshy material, like skin or hide. So some scholars have suggested that this may be the tools used to make and decorate clothing, but others have suggested that they may be examples of early tattooing needles. Our next example comes tens of thousands of years later from a site in France, where a collection of objects have been interpreted as being a toolkit of a tattooist. And this is based on comparisons to the types of objects that are generally found in the toolkits of traditional tattooists across the globe. However, our more secure examples of tattooing can be found on the remains of mummified individuals, the oldest of which is the naturally mummified remains of an individual who's today known as Utsi, who has over 61 lines tattooed across his body. And tattooing can also be found amongst the earliest purposefully mummified individuals of the Chinchoro culture, who display tattooed dots on their face. And furthermore, the earliest figurative or imagistic tattoos can be found on two naturally preserved mummies from Egypt, who both have tattoos on the same part of their shoulder. Our second body modification type is scarification, and the earliest possible examples of this come from artistic depictions, the earliest of which are Paleolithic figurines from Germany. So incised lines on the arms of the lion man and the chest and stomach of the Venus of Holofels have been suggested to be marks of scarification. And similar types of arguments have been made for artistic depictions from sites in France in Algeria, where lines that are drawn on the face and on the body have been argued to represent scarifications. However, similarly to tattooing, the 
best secure early example of scarification comes from mummified individuals, specifically two women from Egypt who are both heavily tattooed, but who also display scarification on their lower abdomen. And one of the women also has scarification designs on the back of one of her thighs. So next we'll talk about amputation and we'll specifically focus on finger amputation. So the earliest possible evidence of these practices are found amongst hand images that appear to be incomplete or have shortened fingers. And these can be found from sites in Indonesia, France, and Spain. And these images have been the subject of a 100 year long debate as to whether they represent hands from which fingers have been amputated or hands in which certain fingers have been folded over. But an interesting finding that has come out of this debate is an impression of a hand that was made in mud that hardened over time. This was found at Grot Gargis, one of the sites that has quite a few of these incomplete hand images. And it's thought that this impression dates to the same time as these hand images and shows an, a hand with a shortened pinky finger. And this suggests that at least one person may have entered that cave with an amputated finger. However, it's unclear whether this would have been due to an accident, pathology, or as a form of body modification. A more secure example of finger amputation as a permanent body modification is from the site of Mirzak Koba in Crimea. Here, a woman had both of her two pinkies amputated when she was an adolescent, and then she died much later on when she was an adult. And the excavators and scholars that have been working at this site have argued that her pinkies may have been amputated as an adolescent as a form of initiation rite. So our next body modification type is piercing. And the earliest type of possible evidence we have for this modification is from a bone implement from a site in Australia. And that has been suggested to be a nose ornament. And this interpretation came out of comparative use wear and experimental studies that found that the bone ornament close, most closely resembled the nose bones of Australian Aboriginal communities, therefore suggesting the presence of permanent body modification some 46,000 years ago. However, some more secure evidence of piercing can be found on an individual from Tanzania. The wear on his teeth have been suggested to be consistent with wearing labrets and cheek plugs. So piercings in his lower lip and his cheeks that would then be enlarged to hold these large ornaments. However, while the presence of body modification in this case is quite secure, unfortunately the dating of this individual has been described as being quite insecure. In addition, we also have examples of pierced ears that have then been enlarged amongst mummified individuals from Egypt, such as the woman pictured here. Next, we'll talk about genital modification. And we're gonna first discuss male genital modification, and then we'll talk about female genital modification. So all of the earliest possible evidence of male genital modification comes from artistic depictions of penises in which the head of the penis is completely visible and have been suggested to potentially represent circumcised penises. And some early examples of these can be found from sites in Spain, Portugal, and Iraq. However, in these cases, it's unclear whether this would represent circumcision or whether the foreskin would just be retracted, 
particularly in cases where it appears as though the penis is erect. Some more secure examples of artistic depictions of male genital modification can be found in Egypt, where tomb reliefs actually display the procedure of male genital modification being done on adolescent boys. And the presence of male genital modification can also be seen amongst mummified individuals from Egypt, where adult males display superincision, which would be a splitting of the foreskin. However, male children do not display this modification, suggesting that it was something that would have been received in adolescence, similar to as we see the, in the tome reliefs. The early evidence for female genital modification is extremely scarce and relies completely on textual evidence with no reliable material evidence of the practice. The earliest possible example of female genital modification can be found in the records of Xanthus of Lydia, which is in modern day Turkey, who talks about a king who castrated women and used female eunuchs in his court. Some scholars have suggested that this may be about a form of female genital modification. However, others state that it could be some other form of sterilization. Another possible early account of female genital modification seems to be talking about the excision of parts of the vulva, so the complete cutting out or removal of parts of the clitoris and the labia. And this is describing the Kolobi people, who would be from the region of modern-day Sudan and Eritrea. Interestingly for this account, women in the region today do engage in excision of the vulva, as well as infibulation, sewing up of the vaginal opening. Perhaps the best accepted and most widely cited example of potential early female genital modification comes from a letter that was written in Greek found in Memphis, Egypt, that talks about an adolescent girl who was to be circumcised before she was to be married. So now we'll discuss the early evidence for dental modification. And all of the early possible and probable evidence is about one type of dental modification, dental ablation, or the removal of teeth. And one of the main ways that we securely establish the presence of dental ablation is if multiple individuals all show the same modification, either in one site or across a region. So all of our early possible examples of the practice are very small sample sizes, sometimes of just one individual, such as the examples from Australia, Israel, and Japan discussed here. Though in all three of these examples, there is well-attested and well-documented dental ablation practices done in the region, but after these individuals, sometimes by a few thousand years. Our more securely established presence of dental ablation can be seen from individuals from Algeria and Morocco. And so we see the systematic pattern where individuals have their upper incisors removed, so the upper four front teeth, and the number of teeth that would be removed would be between one and four. Our final type of permanent body modification we'll discuss today is bone shaping, and we'll specifically focus on cranial modification. So the earliest possible evidence of this can be found at Upper Zukudian in China. It has been suggested that this individual displays intentional cranial modification, though other scholars have argued that it may not be intentional, and instead may be due to the individual carrying a large load that would be attached to a strap around their head. 
Another early example of potential cranial modification comes from another site in China, where the presence of cranial modification is found at the site for over 5,000 years. However, the earliest dated individual, some scholars have stated that it's not actually intentionally modified and instead falls within the natural variation of East Asian populations. The best securely dated and established uh, example of intentional cranial modification can be found in Australia, where individuals from numerous sites all display the same type of cranial modification around the same time period. And some other early examples of cranial modification that have been securely established can be found in China, Iraq, and Iran. So if we take all of this together and consider the probable cases of body modification from the seven different types we talked about today, we get this view of the possible history of these practices. And based on this, we might suggest that maybe permanent body modification was a relatively recent invention in human evolutionary history, ranging back to maybe 15,000 years ago. However, if we also add in the possible cases of body modification, then this image changes dramatically. And it's likely that neither of these two views, either just the probable or including the possible cases, are accurate representations of the history of body modification practices. Let's take that bone implement from Australia that has been suggested to be a nose ornament, for example. The scholars were able to come to this conclusion because the Australian museum where they were doing their analyses had examples of nose bones from Aboriginal Australian communities. However, if that wasn't the case, then there's the possibility that the authors wouldn't have considered body modification and piercing as an option, particularly at that early date of 46,000 years ago. And it's likely that there are many other cases like this in the archaeological record that have been overlooked because scholars that have been analyzing these finds didn't have body modification on the mind as a possibility for what they were seeing. And so it's through these discussions of the possible deep antiquity of permanent body modification practices that will likely lead us to finding more instances of both possible and probable cases of body modification, which will lead us to a more nuanced and hopefully more accurate view of body modification practices in our human history. Thank you very much.